You're listening to the best of the day. I say you the, you the best. Halford and Bruff. You're listening to Halford and Bruff. Just be a big, honking NHL center. I like the big body. Ladies and gentlemen, the weekend. Good morning, Vancouver. 601 on a Friday. Sweet, sweet Friday. It is Halford. It is Bruff. It is Sportsnet 650. We are coming to you live from the Kintech studios in beautiful Fairview Slopes in Vancouver. Jason, good morning. Honk, honk, good morning. Uh, Ada, good morning to you. Honk. Uh, and Laddie, good morning to you as well. Hello, hello. Good start to the show, everybody. Halford and Bruff of the Morning is brought to you by the Delari family of Acura dealers. They sell cars. Cars have horns. Horns go honk. Experience the Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Acura dealer today. Is that was, their new script? What did I? I don't even remember what I said again. <laughs> I think amazing. I said, cars have horns. Horns go honk. Yeah. Yeah. You should uh, pitch that to them. Uh, okay, maybe. We're, uh, we're coming to you live from the Kintech studio. Kintech Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 2,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintech.net. Big show ahead. Big, big show ahead on a Friday. Now, Laddie, tell everybody what happened. Hey, did you guys see the game last night? No. Oh, what happened? I missed all the action because I was... We know how busy your life can be. What happened? Missed that? You missed that? What happened? So a light day for the Vancouver Canucks on Thursday. They did return to practice. No huge changes from the overtime win over Anaheim. As a matter of fact, no changes whatsoever up front. Lines remain the same as they prep in anticipation of Saturday's game against the Senators. Yeah, I'm curious to see the, the Senators come to town. We, we, we spoke about them uh, with Ian Mendez uh, earlier in the week on the show, um, and we immediately jinxed them because mm-hmm. we were so positive about them, and we were asking Ian, like, do you think there's a chance they could actually, like, pull off another miracle late-season push like the Sens did a few years ago and actually – make the playoffs and he's like yeah like the, the way things are going i think it's possible and then they lost five nothing to chicago Tough like one. immediately after that so we were like okay well maybe not um classic hell bro though and classic then they, they had they had a wild game last night in seattle how how did it go last night because they, they ended were, up winning but it, but it wasn't it wasn't easy they were up three nothing okay that's good after nine minutes oh that's awesome yeah and then what and then they were down four three. Oh. Okay. Then they came back and made it 4-4. Mm-hmm. And then they scored midway through the third period to make it 5-4. Big win for the Senators in Seattle against the Kraken. Uh, they actually moved a point closer to the playoffs because Pittsburgh, who's holding that final wildcard spot, we'll get to that in a sec, they lost a bit of a killer last night uh, at home where they blew a lead against the Islanders. But the Senators team, now here's the thing. I mentioned this a while ago that I said for no reason in particular, I didn't really know why, just a gut feeling. Could mm-hmm. have been indigestion. I was like, I feel like this Senators team is worth paying attention to, and I think they might have a run in them. And I think I might have been leaning on the aforementioned Hamburglar run that you were just talking about. Yeah. Like, I've seen they've them do it before. it before. That's right. Totally different team. Totally different team. But they've done it before. Um, they're interesting to me. The Chikrin deal, it looks like chef's kiss, like home run. Like, it's been perfect for them. Mm-hmm. He stepped in. 
He's got such a low cap hit for what he provides. He's been better than a point of game guy since he's come on board. He's logging huge minutes and he fits their age window really well. It just feels like it's given them a boost. What a freaking boost. Yeah. It's given them the boost that I'm not sure at the end of the day they'll be able to make up the gap. Mm-hmm. But I think right now you're seeing what they've done stay in the race. What other young teams in the East that are promising like Buffalo and Detroit have fallen out of the picture. It's so interesting how I think the one major factor that got them chicken was that they didn't have to give back a bad contract to Arizona. Because they had the cap space. And, that and they, is... didn't, they didn't force uh, Ottawa to retain any money on Chikorin either. They were just able to take the full freight. So Arizona, you're right about that. Arizona didn't have to take a bad contract back. They didn't have to retain any money. And that, I, as far as I can tell, based on doing a little bit of research on it, that was the difference. Yeah, because Arizona doesn't have any money. Right. Like it it's, is a not, it's, it's, not a, it's not a cap space thing with Arizona. It's, they, they don't want to pay players. Like, that's the problem. They, they don't want to – like, you know how uh, the Canucks had to take Beauvillier back in the Horvat deal? They were like, no. Oh, why not? We can't afford to. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, that is the issue. And, and, and that's where having cap flexibility is such an advantage. And are we talking about the Vancouver Canucks here? Yeah, we are. Now, a lot of teams don't have cap flexibility right now. But – a lot of those teams are going to make the playoffs, mm-hmm. and that and that's the difference, right? And the frustration with the Canucks is like they haven't been a good team this season for or for a while now, and and they still don't have that cap flexibility, which is why you get into the conversations that we had after um, Patrick Alvin spoke. Uh, what was he What was he speaking about recently? When Drance had that question for him. Um, what a, what, what about, the, about the working with minimal cap space yeah. and then the Tampa Bay yeah. comparison? Yeah. Yeah. What, what was he speaking for, though? Why was he talking? It was after the trade deadline. I was after the trade deadline. That's right. Mm-hmm. Okay. I was like, there's been so many press conferences, and it's also quite early yeah. in the morning. But I'm like, what <laughs> yeah. was he? Was that, that the injury issues? Well, that no, that, that, was, that, that was just after the trade deadline. That, that was yeah, post-trade that deadline media right. availability. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so the Sens are heading here. They're going to have uh, Saturday, Sunday, back-to-back Vancouver, Calgary. They're going through their toughest stretch of the season. We got a text in from Chris in Duncan. Who do the Sens have for a goalie? Is it still 54-year-old Craig Anderson? It is not 54-year-old Craig Anderson. That's another interesting wrinkle to this whole thing, is that Talbot's dealt with injury and ineffective play during stretches. So they're going with the Mad Dane, Mad Sogard in net. He was in last night for that 5-4 win over the Seattle Kraken. Um, where do you want to go here, Frank? We've got a lot of things we need to get into in the first hour of the program. We can whip around the NHL. We can continue on some Canucks stuff uh, if you'd let, like to go there. Let's go into what happened last night in the league. And I'm just going to go through the scores as they were in order on my NHL media page. And then we're going to start with a big score. Uh, Dallas 10, Buffalo 4. Uh, the Sabres are choking big time down the stretch. Yeah. They, they, just a few weeks ago, if you looked at points percentage in the Eastern Conference, the Buffalo Sabres had a playoff spot because they hadn't played as many games as, say, the New York Islanders. So while the New York Islanders were up on them in actual points, if the Sabres had kept pace with their pace, their own pace, not even the Islanders' pace, their own pace, uh, they'd have made the playoffs. Yeah, Buff- Buffalo's, or, Buffalo's toast right now. Buff- Buffalo is just showing it's Buffalo right now. <laughs> and there were two teams 
in the East race that haven't been in the playoffs for a while, and we were looking at them and going, hmm, you guys might be the young up-and-comers in this race that are going to push out a team like Pittsburgh or Washington, which will probably be pushed out also. Um, And that was Buffalo and Detroit. And both of those teams have since not done a great job. And Detroit, Detroit sold at the deadline. We all know that, right? Mm -hmm. Like they sold Philip Peronik to the Vancouver Canucks for futures for two picks. Anyone remember that? Yeah. Uh, So Detroit is out of it, but Buffalo was still in it. But recently they just, I don't know, for whatever reason, I don't know if it's a lack of experience, maybe their goaltending is catching up to them, but losing 10-4 to the Dallas Stars is not a good result for them, obviously. Yeah. Um, Laddie, could you fire up the breaking news button? We've got some big news out of Philadelphia. Sportsnet 650, breaking news. According to multiple reports, including one from Charlie O'Connor from The Athletic, a guest on this show, the Philadelphia Flyers have relieved general manager and president Chuck Fletcher (laughs) of his duties. Now, this comes as very little surprise, although the timing may be. Fletcher has been under intense scrutiny and an incredible amount of fire for how poorly the Flyers' season has gone. An inability to ship out seemingly anyone mm-hmm. at the deadline. JVR might have been the last straw. And a lot of people questioning the direction of the club under his relatively brief tenure in uh, Philadelphia. So you were away yesterday, but we had uh, Frank Saravalli on the show. And since he's a Philly guy, I always ask Frank about the, the Flyers. And I was obviously going to ask him about the Flyers after a trade deadline uh, where the fans were and still are furious about the direction of the team Mm -hmm. because they are an organization that does not want to go through a tear it down, rebuild tanking job. Um, And if you're looking at what they have on the roster and what they've got in the system, there are a lot of people that say you should though. And then there was on top of all that, I think it's just been a general, like, you know how the Canucks, there was just like a story after story after story after story after story this season? Yep. Like, it just never ended? It's kind of been like that in Philly. Like, you're not going to blame um, Ivan Provorov not wanting to wear the pride jerseys on Chuck Fletcher. You're not necessarily going to blame uh, Tony D'Angelo sticking Corey Perry in the groin on Chuck Fletcher, Mm -hmm. but it all adds up to like noise in the marketplace and the fan base fighting with each other. Like, is it a big deal that Provorov, you know, or or like what, you know, it's just, it's just like a lot of, a lot of unhappiness, a lot of anger in the fan base. And I feel like the trade deadline, just not being able to get anything for JVR and just not doing it, not not helping at all. I mean, you go back to the off season. Flyers fans were angry that they couldn't get Goudreau, mm-hmm. right? Like, and then he goes to Columbus, and people are like well, Columbus. He wants to come to Philly, but you weren't able to clear the space for this guy who wants to come to Philly. So it just it was just it was a bad situation. You've got Torts in there, and Torts does not exactly uh, calm the noise. Mm-hmm. Like oftentimes, he's going to add to the noise just by being Torts. So Chuck Fletcher is out as Flyers GM. Apparently, Danny Briere, very popular player in Philly, has been named interim 
GM. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Flyers' plan is to uh, permanently fill separate roles of GM and president of Hockey Ops. Well, look, I mean, we've kind of been following this as we're wont to do anytime we see a tire fire smoldering in the National Hockey League. We played the audio from 97.5 The Fan in Philly about a week and a half ago where the morning show host there went on a, a rant for the ages talking about how Comcast, who, by the way, um, is very much linked to 97.5, the flagship station for the Philadelphia Flyers. Sell the mother father. I yeah, think was, the was the line. And then, and what might have ended up being the final line, the final sand line in the sand that was crossed uh, six days ago, Chuck Fletcher appeared at a private event for Philadelphia Flyers season ticket holders. And video got out of Chuck Fletcher in front of a room of about 200 people being loudly and lustily booed right at a season ticket holder event. That's tough. And Steve Coates, who's a longtime Philadelphia Flyers uh, radio analyst and former player, jumped to Fletcher's defense. And he was almost taken aback that someone would boo at a season ticket holder event, which I can kind of understand. I think a lot of people generally like Chuck Fletcher. That's the thing. So he probably had a relationship with him. Fridge and Merrick were talking about it mm-hmm. um, a few days ago. And uh, Fridge was like, you know, Chuck Fletcher is a genuine, he's a good guy, yeah. right? Um, but the, that, doesn't, that doesn't help a fan base that is very frustrated right the, now. The reason that I bring it up is because I feel as though that Fletcher was on thin ice or on the hot seat or whatever you want to put it, but the public sentiment, mm-hmm. the way that it went in Philadelphia, really pushed this over the edge. Look, we talk about Vancouver as a sports market and how it's a little bit... It's monopolized by the Canucks, right? The, the, the fact that Philadelphia sports fans um, have so many different teams and so many of those teams are having success recently, it really puts the Flyers in an odd, in terms of the pecking order, because it's not even most popular to least popular. The more dangerous thing is it's most relevant to least Mm. relevant. The one thing the Flyers can't be is irrelevant and identity-less, and that's what they are right now. Yeah. And that's when you see big, bold moves like this. Like I know Fletcher's been on the job for five years, but his tenure in Philadelphia was really disappointing. Never really found, you know, he was just stuck in a rut, and the team never really found an attitude and what have you. Another really interesting thing is what happens to John Tortorella mm-hmm. after this. You know what? Uh, there was another incident uh, in Philly, and that was they played a home game against the Rangers, and Rangers fans basically filled the building. So that is, you know, I know we're used to that in Vancouver when the Leafs come to town or Montreal comes to town. We get that, right? And that's Mm -hmm. generally accepted across Canada that Leafs and Habs fans, the two original six teams, have fan bases in in every city in Canada. And when they come to town, there's going to be a a strong presence there. But Mm -hmm. in Philly... Even though the Rangers are an original six team and they're very close to Philly, it's just like an hour and a half drive or something like that. Um, that never used to happen in Philly because Philly would have a strong fan base of its own. And when that happened earlier this season and it was a Rangers crowd mm-hmm. watching a Flyers Rangers game in Philly, I think a lot of people were, first of all, asking the question, have you guys become irrelevant that, you know, Tickets are available for all these Rangers fans to come in there. And second of all, for the people that still cared, they were embarrassed. Yep. So I think a general 
um, overriding feeling is yes, anger at the direction of the fa- of the of of the the team, but also embarrassment, embarrassment at so many issues. And let's be honest, guys. Like in Vancouver, was there not a sense of embarrassment at times during this season that everyone in Canada and across the league was essentially poking fun at the Vancouver Canucks and ridiculing the Vancouver Canucks, or even worse, feeling sorry for Canucks fans. Yep. The, the, the entirety of the Boudreaux part of this campaign was a lot of low moments. Now, not necessarily the off the ice stuff, although there was some, but not necessarily the off the ice stuff to the degree in Philadelphia, but I think it's an apt comparison when you're talking about, now, the big difference, of course, is that the Canucks never went to be irrelevant here, and that's because of their large market share. Yes. But in Philly, it's a different story. It's a different dynamic, different landscape. Now, you mentioned invading the building in that very pivotal game where the Rangers came in. Well, the New York Rangers played a game last night that wasn't great aesthetically, but in terms of the results, it got them where they needed to go. Patrick Kane, who hasn't really played great, for the blue shirts thus far. I'm willing to give him a little bit of a pass because he actually hasn't practiced with the team yet and has played a couple games. Uh, he got his first two points, a goal and an assist, in three games with the New York Rangers. They had to keep clawing back against Montreal last night at the Bell Center, but they finally emerged four three winners in the shootout. I only mention it because I, of all these stories that we're going to talk about in the playoffs, I am fascinated to see how this works out for the Rangers with the two really splashy acquisitions in mm-hmm. forward in Tarasenko and Kane. I think the the idea with Kane is that going to this iconic franchise in New York, getting a chance to get back into the playoffs after not being there for a couple of years, he'll kind of dial the way back machine up and he'll get that juice and that magic. Maybe, but he hasn't been playing intense hockey for a while now. Years. You know, it ha- he has not played... Um high-pressure hockey in a long time. And he's 34 years old, and defensively, sometimes he doesn't look great out there. And I think a lot of people in Chicago didn't really care if he dogged it on a few shifts for the Blackhawks. Yep. They're like, yeah, he's Patrick Kane. The team is bad, so whatever. Uh, now you're, you're, you're thrown into this really intense situation. Uh, and I haven't seen the highlight, but apparently Patrick Kane – right before he scored his first goal as a Ranger, had a horrific giveaway mm-hmm. on he the did. power play, and uh, Montreal scored. So, you know, hasn't gone great for Patrick Kane, but maybe um, maybe this goal and assist and the win for the Rangers will help. Uh, the other New York team, the New York Islanders, were involved in an absolutely wild affair in Pittsburgh. And for the third time in, what, a couple of weeks almost, they've erased a, a Pittsburgh lead – and come back to beat the Penguins. And that's what they did last night. They were down 3-1 heading into the third period. They score two goals, and then they win it in overtime. So if these games had all gone the way of Pittsburgh protecting the lead and getting the full two points, Pittsburgh would basically be home free now. Mm. They'd be in a playoff spot. They'd be comfortable. Yeah, And I think New York would be in big trouble. They've got so many extra games played over everybody else. They would be in serious trouble. But because of these three comeback efforts, uh, things are very different in the Eastern playoff race, Eastern Conference playoff race. Now, it might be that both these teams make the playoffs and they're both the wild card. But Pittsburgh has allowed, um, by blowing all these leads, and you know we've seen a lot of blown leads in the NHL this season, quite often in Vancouver, but Pittsburgh has the same issue. 
And when they went into that third period with the 3-1 lead, none of the Pittsburgh fan base was comfortable. Yeah. They were all like, okay, guys, this time, let's get it done. And they couldn't get it done. Yeah, it was it was dramatic, to put it mildly. Anders Lee scores with 115 lefty. We got the Brock Nelson goal. We'll play the Brock Nelson goal here because the audio on this, they're in Pittsburgh at PPG, PPG Paints Arena. And this is... As the announcer puts it, one of the more improbable victories for an Islanders team that's now won three straight and four of their last five. Here's Nelson's game winner against the Penguins from Thursday night. This one comes out Sorokin with a great, great stick, and here comes Nelson. He could win it. Nelson on Jari. He scores! Brock Nelson in overtime and an improbable win. I love, Bo, I love Bo's going to the playoffs, baby. Uh, Bo's going to the playoffs. I love the organ uh, playing out. It's like it's it's like the organ uh, starts playing, so people don't start trashing the place. They're like, "It's okay. <laughs> don't be too mad." That was one of my saddest moments when the Canucks ditched the organ. I was just like, "I can't believe you're, this is like so sacred. Mm. How could you do this?" I wonder how many. And ro- a lot of teams do that, not just the Canucks. It's become yeah. a thing. Like organs are kind of going; they're disappearing, which is sad to see. Uh, so the Islanders have 76 points in 67 games. The Penguins are still pr- sitting okay. They got a point last night. They've got 74 points, so two fewer than the Islanders, but they've also played three fewer games. So those are the two wildcard teams right now, and both those teams do have the highest points percentage mm-hmm. of all the teams in, in the race. Um, the closest team is the Ottawa Senators. So that that race, and it's kind of disappointing because I really wanted... I thought it was really going to go down, right down to maybe the final game of the season, but I don't know if it is now. I thought I really wanted Detroit, Buffalo, and Washington to stay in it and make it a true like five team. Everyone's fighting tooth and nail for the mm-hmm. final playoff spot, but Detroit's t- Detroit, Buffalo, and Washington have all got sub-500 records in their last 10 games. And Detroit and Washington have only won three three each. So yeah. they're fading. And really what you're looking at here is Ottawa, Florida, duking it out. Even even Florida's. Florida's, they're, won, they're, two, Florida's won two straight. I don't – I'm not ready to write four them points off back, yet. Four points back of Pittsburgh, and they played one more game than Pittsburgh. So they're going to have to get real hot. Yeah. But right now what you're looking at is – can Ottawa and really Ottawa's comes down to and the reason we've been talking about so much this morning is they play the Canucks on Saturday and at Rogers Arena and a friendly reminder we're giving away a pair of tickets for that game. Ottawa's got like a murderer's row stretch right now. It's going to be an absolute buzzsaw for them to try and get through the next two weeks. But if they do, and they're able to stay within spitting distance of that final wild card spot, it could be really interesting over the final few days of the regular season. This is the best of. Halford and Bruff. Download the full show through Apple, Google, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You're listening to the best of the day. Halford and Bruff. Well, let's ask us anything Friday on the Halford and Bruff show. If you've got any questions, text them into the Dunbar Lumber text line at 650-650. They can be sports related. They can be serious. They can be fun. This is a sports related one that's pretty serious. Okay. Ask us anything if JT Miller keeps playing like he has been and if it becomes clear that Pedersen isn't super interested in being the captain. Do you guys think Miller is a better fit for captain over Petey or Hughes? 
He is very confident when talking to the media, and he would be a better fit when it comes to standing up for guys as well as just being more vocal. What do you guys think? Okay, here's what I think. I think before the Canucks name anyone captain, they got to figure out who's going to be here long term. <laughs> Pedersen well, still hasn't signed a long term contract, and JT Miller is still um, reportedly uh, possibly going to be traded by the Vancouver Canucks. Um, I think they. I think this is very hard for media and fans to determine who should be the leader of the team, who should be the captain of the team without being in the room. I just want to throw it out there. But I think it's fairly clear what this organization is doing, and they're handing over the leadership duties to the younger guys on the team, mm-hmm. and that's Pedersen and Hughes. Yep. Those are the two guys that are going to be handed the responsibility to be the role models, to become more vocal, to become better leaders, even if it takes themselves out of their comfort zones. And look, the Sedins were not super vocal. They weren't guys that barked a lot out there. Probably weren't guys that gave like rousing pregame speeches. You can still have guys like JT Miller on the team that stick up for the guys, like the Canucks had Alex Burrows and Ryan Kessler and Kevin Bieksa, and those guys were not afraid to lead even if they didn't have a C. But I think that for this next generation of the Vancouver Canucks, they need to give the leadership duties to younger players on the team and go, it's your responsibility now, take it. You know what happens in four days, Jason? March 14th, today is March 10th. You know what happens in four days? JT Miller celebrates his 30th birthday. So I'm looking at that and I'm saying, does he have good leadership qualities right now as outlined by our texter? Right now, yeah, he's got them. But I think you're. I think you got to look towards the future, and I think you have to say that if, if, and we're just throwing out the possibility, Miller and his contract don't age well, then you've got a real issue if mm-hmm. he's wearing the C, because not only are you getting diminished returns, but you go back into this conversation where you've got a guy wearing the most important letter on the team that's not the most important player on the team. Pedersen's going to be the next captain. I think we just need to acknowledge that and if it doesn't happen then i think something went catastrophically wrong along the way well he, he maybe he doesn't resign that maybe that's that would the be thing. catastrophically they, they wrong. need to get some uh they need to get some certainty on who's going to be here and who's not going to be here and until pd um signs long term or until the jt miller trade talk finally dies down and perhaps that's when his no move clause kicks in this off season then I think you make the decision about the captain. And even then, if you're not 100% sure, just go next season without one. Uh, Another um, one about the Canucks here, this is unsigned, as that one was. Uh, Ask us anything. Hypothetical question I keep thinking about. What if this retool doesn't work in the next few years? Do you think they will finally rebuild? Man, I hate to take the... um, the coward's way out here, but I have no idea. Like sometimes you're forced into a rebuild. For for example, if Pedersen doesn't resign here long-term and he's like, I'm going to force my way out. Like we've seen, like, let's say he pulls a Matthew Kachuk. Then what do they do? Do they go the Calgary route? 
and try and chase down some good veteran players like the Flames did with Jonathan Huberdeau and Uyghur, and then they signed Kadri? Do they do they go that route, or do they finally say, "All right, let's rebuild, let's trade Pedersen for like a crazy amount of futures"? Um, all I can tell you is that there has been immense pressure in this market for the Canucks to rebuild. Immense. Media pressure. We all know what Drant says on a daily basis. Rebuild, rebuild. We all know there's a large vocal segment of the fan base that says rebuild, rebuild, rebuild. What have the Canucks done? Retool. This is this is how they operate. And until they and until they don't, I'm going to just assume that this is how they're going to operate forever. Nothing would suggest that this team is going to do anything other than always try and stay competitive and always try and stay relevant. Easy answer for me. Easy answer. I don't, I don't know how to predict the future, but I know what the past has told me. And if past behavior is an indication of what's going to happen in the future, then the answer is really simple. Uh, we've had a few texts in. About Oscar season. Now, you're the guy. You're the film critic here. You're the you're the Siskel and the Ebert. Mm-hmm. Um, He's talking like I don't exist over here, Mr. Film Buff? Probably see more movies true. than Bruff has. That's true. Well, Bruff for the longest time. Are you we, sure? When we worked I worked at, in a video store when so I was I. in my 20s. Okay. Well, I'll touche. Yeah. Wow, look, it's, <laughs> hey, hey, look, it's two losers fighting. Um, when... I was paid $8 an hour. <laughs> However, I will say there is a period of my of time in the 80s where I haven't seen some of those movies, mm-hmm. so you probably got me beat there specifically. You've you've definitely seen more superhero movies than me That's and more sci-fi, yes. more Star Wars and definitely. that sort of stuff. Oh, yeah. Yeah. The question. Question into the Dunbar Lumber. It would be a good review show, though. Sorry to interrupt you. You are interrupting. The question (laughs) into the Dunbar Lumber text line 650-650 is how many of the films nominated for this year's Best Picture Oscar have we seen? I have the list in front of me. I do, too. I've seen one, and it was Top Gun. I've seen three. (laughs) I think I've only seen three. I've seen Top Gun. I've seen The Banshees of Inishirin, which, honestly, everyone said, they were like, you'll love this movie. I did not love that. Everyone movie. thought that the relationship between the two leads was similar to our relationship. I saw a couple in that, that one of them hates the other. That's right, and the other is desperate to maintain the friendship. You and I are the banshees. What's the third? Uh, I've seen All Quiet on the Western Front. Yeah, same. That's on Netflix. I saw Elvis. You saw Elvis? I yeah. never saw Elvis. It was on my. It was not on my person, PVR. Though. I was like, I was like, uh, I just, I've just never been. Listen, I, th- I think this is like. Uh, this this list of movies is not very impressive. No, all I'm quiet, sorry, it's just not. All quiet on the like Elvis Front. is. I did Elvis, not like Elvis. Yeah, I, I thought yeah, it was I, way I, too hectic. The, it the, was... Well, the reviews weren't the, the reviews were not no. glowing. The best part about Elvis is that the guy that plays Elvis, Austin Butler, has actually turned into Elvis. Yes. <laughs> Have you seen that? No. He does that's awesome. Publicly, he's he's, yeah. he's just turned into him. He's mm-hmm. convinced himself that he method acted for so long. <laughs> Such that he a deep method into role. Him. Yeah, he's yeah. just him. He's now like, I forever. can't escape it. So he, the, uh, he, he does he, interviews as Elvis. He talks like Elvis. It's so amazing. The, the overwhelming favor to everything, everywhere, all at yes, once. Yes, which I haven't seen yet, and I still I, mean to. I've I've got it flagged. I think you can watch it on Amazon Prime. Yeah. That's where it's at. Yeah. Um, it's interesting. I just, it's about, it's about multiple universes. Yeah, it's right? sort of a meta kind of movie. It's kind of like the decisions you make in life, like can lead you either one way or the other. Sort of butterfly effecty. Which is funny because I just read a book about that. It's called The Midnight Library. 
So hmm. it's all about like, you can go back on the decisions that you make and see what your life would have been. Like, right. let's say for example, Boy, the Canucks wish they had a couple of those. <laughs> it's about, honestly, it's about regret. <laughs> Yeah, it's about regret. Like you could go back. So the the Midnight Library uh, version of that would be like, what if Dan Hamhuis didn't decide to hip check Milan Lucic? How would that mm. series? And then mm-hmm. you can you can find out how that went. And the general lesson is like it's kind of like a moral lesson. Like you, you, you the, regardless of how your life turns out, you're probably going to face the same issues that you face in your current life, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Just based on on how you think about the world. Um, ah. Since people are probably asking, just quickly to go through the list, what the nominees are. It's All Quiet on the Western Front. I've seen that. Excellent. Avatar: The Way of Water. Seen it. Surprisingly good. I wasn't expecting to like it. Banshees of Inish Sharon. Haven't seen. Elvis. Haven't seen. Everything Everywhere All at Once. Haven't seen. Mm-hmm. The Fablemans. I want to see. I hear it's awesome. It's pretty much a story of. Spielberg's life it's directed Cat, by Spielberg. wasn't it di- basically made to win the Oscar like, I that's mean, why it, they put it, it together it's apparently fantastic Seth Rogen is amazing in it apparently I do want to see it uh, Tar I want to see that one Top Gun, Top Gun Maverick which I've seen is awesome and Triangle of Sadness which sort of summarizes this conversation the Triangle right of Sadness yeah 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 because yeah. yeah. yeah, there's only three of you talking about this I'm <laughs> out of the Triangle <laughs> the Triangle of Sadness Vancouver, Edmonton and Calgary right? there you there go, go. Um, yeah. ask us anything from Josh in Chilliwack and this is going to cut Laddie in half but that's fine are goalies just the running backs of the NHL? You're treated some, like them. You have some studs who get paid big dollars, but then you have all these random guys who just catch fire for a few years. To be perfectly honest, Josh, the average span, lifespan, really, of, a, of an elite running back with a single franchise isn't even all that long. So right now what's happening is Derrick Henry's probably been one of the best, most consistent running backs in the NFL over the last seven years. He spent all seven in Tennessee, and now it's he's, he's done. He's, they're, they're kind of talking about moving on, and he'll be going somewhere else. So I don't know. Like the, Everyone knows who the elite goalies are right now. The question is, what are you waving? Oh, you're telling me to wrap it up. I thought you no, were wondering. No, I, was, I, I want to come out after you. I wanna, I wanna okay. Um, I, I, there's only a handful of guys, and I guess the question is, will they be like decade-long servants for lack of a better term will they have the 10 years of servitude to their team like I could see Vasilevsky being a long-term guy in Tampa Bay uh Shesterkin in New York like I think he could have the kind of career that Lundquist had longevity wise in one place but um there is a case to be made that they are kind of the running backs of the NHL yeah there is because it's the nature of the position what do what do running backs uh, catchers in baseball and goalies in hockey have there's one starter on every team. Yeah, right. There's one spot for a guy to go. You sign a guy to a long-term big-money deal, you're going to start your backup goalie half the time? Who no, do you're you think not. Is, who do you think is more dependent on his teammates, the goalie or the running back? I would argue the Ooh, running back. Yeah, I'd say the running back. You, yeah, you can't, can't do much line. without much of an offensive line. Yeah. yeah. But I think we're learning. Now, correct me if I'm wrong on this. The analysis was we're learning more and more about what we used to think, and that is that, the um, the team in front of the goalie is very, very important statistically because there was a time that the analytics folks felt that maybe that was overstated and a lot of it was just on the goalie. And I think we're learning more and more now that like you have to have a good system in front of you. I know everyone's tired of hearing the word structure, but the reason it's brought up is because it's very important and you have to have trust in the players in front of you. And those players have to have trust in each other. You mentioned that the, the importance of the, of the structure in front of them and, yeah. and the, the offensive line for running backs. Well, for goalies, it's, it's the same thing. You know, they got 
uh, a lot of impact on uh, from the from the players in front of them. They, they they don't have any control over what happens around them, which is the the crux of the position and which makes goaltending very frustrating for a lot of people. Five dot matrix. Steve from Burnaby has won a pair of tickets to go see the Canucks and Senators play hockey Saturday night. Rogers are going to congrats to Steve. The reason Steve won is because he gets the ethos of this show. He gets what we're about and he understands how to marry topics that you didn't think would have anything to do with one another. Okay. I'm curious how he did this. Steve from Burnaby hashtag WWO. What we learned. I tried the chicken big Mac last night and it reflected the Canucks season sloppy structural integrity and underwhelming. It's the definition of mid. Oh, okay. Now, I have not heard good reviews for I have not the heard chicken good Big Mac. Or the Canucks. Yeah, there's mm-hmm. a reason they used uh, beef. So Andy <laughs> Andy went out and did the field Quite successful re- with yeah. uh, beef. Yeah. <laughs> Where's the beef, they say? Andy From went some out magical animal. Andy Andy went out and did the research. Yeah. You ate the chicken Big Mac. Yeah, seven several of them knows Just the one. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I did try it last night. And? First time. And? Uh, as the kids say, very mid. So Steve was right. Yes. I mean, it wasn't terrible. I what was your biggest complaint? Too much chicken. <laughs> In the chicken big yeah. pack? Yeah. Like, the chicken, some beef. Patties? The chicken overweighed the sauce portion. Mm-hmm. So, like, the sauce was fine, but there was more chicken than sauce, so you didn't have your soakage. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Need the soakage. Right. What did you call it? Soakage. The, the soakage. Did you go to BYU? What is? <laughs> That's a deep cut. I went that up, not everybody's gonna get. I went up. Google it, kids. Google Don't it. Google it. Actually. Don't Google it. Don't Google it if you're at work or at school. Has, it, um, has any sandwich, by the way, made a like had a bigger decade than the crispy chicken sandwich? You used to not be able to find a crispy chicken sandwich. Oh, you're just talking in general. Just in general. Popeyes. Like now now yeah. I feel like like the crispy chicken sandwich lobby would be like would go be going to a restaurant and be like, Why don't you have a, ch- a crispy chicken yep. sandwich? That's like, actually very absolutely good. That's a need... very good point. Well, who doesn't it, love a good crispy chicken sandwich? But he's it's, talking it's usually, about the rise. It's, it's the it's the rise. The rise I just wonder the if there's sandwich. gonna be a fall because you know, in this uh in this Western world of ours, we, we like to build things up, but then we like to tear them down. What will be the fall of the crispy chicken sandwich? Oversaturation. This might be the start of it. There'll be too many. Yeah. Too, cri- too crispy eventually. Mm-hmm. Has the, the, the crispy crispiness chicken, will be too high. Has the crispy chicken sandwich actually, in some ways, knocked nachos off a menu? Or is that a different part of the menu where you can't really Yeah, nachos is in dinner. Nachos, Na- nachos is, is always an appetizer. Yeah, nachos it, is everywhere. Doesn't it bother you when you go to a restaurant yes. and it's like a sports bar? And I know what like, you're going to say. I'm like, like, do you have nachos? No, we don't make nachos. Yeah. What are you, out of your you mind? You should yeah. automatically have to close down. <laughs> yeah. If you don't serve nachos. And, 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 I don't know, and, and know what you're doing. I don't know what you're doing, but I think it's illegal. I don't, you, yeah. you know what they need to bring back in every place? Potato skins. More potato skins. Potato skins are... Incredible. Yep. Going back to the absolutely cr- incredible with sour cream, bacon bits. Yeah, it's, they're good. It's, uh, it's an am- it's amazing and good potato skins. That's a meal right the, there. The main thing that mm-hmm. well, okay, that's strange. But the main thing that bothered me about the uh, chicken Big Mac was McDonald's keeps trying to reinvent the wheel here when they have just when they have just like McDonald's pizza just waiting in the wings there to be brought back. Everybody loves McDonald's pizza, and they refuse to bring it back. It's I delicious. I don't think I've ever had it. It was so good. It was out for like three days. <laughs> Probably a major lawsuit involved, and they had to shut it down. But no, I remember McDonald's pizza was amazing when I was a kid. Well, if you want to talk about when you were still... a kid, there was lots of things that were amazing when you were yeah. a kid. I bet it's still, but I, I thought, still am, though, I thought so. Big Trouble in Little China was the greatest movie ever made, and you know what? I don't think it was. That should have won an Academy Award. Uh, 
the that's another oversaturated market, though. You can't get back into the pizza game. There's way too many pizza places as there is on right Mc, now. You're McDonald's. You could do whatever you want. On the McPizza vein, though, I saw a photo somebody posted from an old 80s McDonald's. Don't use and, McPizza in vein in the no, same no. sentence. <laughs> <laughs> it, in the 80s, and it was soup at McDonald's. It said soups on. McSoup? McSoup. Okay. Where? When did really? they have McSoup? Yeah. Good Lord. I it must know. Must have been like a test run or something. I've actually re- I read uh, one of the books. I can't remember what it was. The McDonald's book, and they were talking about there was a time where they had they they uh, they were very adventuresome and weren't afraid of having like things blow up spectacularly in their face because I think that they just really I thought that they were going to be the ultimate family restaurant, right? And it, so they were going to have I think they had like a pineapple burger. At one point, there was just a slice of. They chart. flew too close to the sun. Yeah, and now now they're just trying to make like different types of McChickens. Anyway, let's do a let's do a sports one. Why? I haven't even checked the in basket, but I'm sure people are yelling what they do every Friday, which is I thought this was a sports talk radio station, and most of those are from Andrew from Victoria. What do we got? Oh, you're you're asking me to do you, do you that was never... the setup, and I just did one. Uh, James and Qualcomm Beach ask us anything. What did JT Miller do exactly to lose the fan base? What does he have to do? to win the fan base back, and is it even possible? This is a very complicated qu- complicated question, James, um, because it depends on the fan. Um, for me, I had that speech that I made that it's not about JT Miller, the player. He's a very, very good yeah. player. It's about his age. Your speech kind of hit the nail on the head. Yeah, but for a lot of people, it is a personality thing. They think, you know, he's, I don't know, too mean or something. Like, I don't, I don't. I don't care. I honestly do not care about JT Miller's temper or how he'll, you know, occasionally um, yell at uh, some of his teammates. Like, I think that happens in sports. I really don't. I think I think he would be wise to maybe think about whether that's the best way to do things. And mm-hmm. I think that's something that Rick Tockett is working um, with him on. I, I think he'd be wise to do that. But like, that exists in sports, and it's really not that big a deal. I think it does become harder when you're yelling at players and maybe oftentimes not back-checking mm-hmm. as hard as you could. I think that becomes a problem. But for me, like, that's all noise. Doesn't this matter. is all – this is the, the, to, to, like – so to win the fan base back, maybe for some people it would be to him to be, I don't know, nicer or whatever, you know. Not yell at people, but I think for a lot of people, including myself, the only way he can do it is to find a time machine and make himself younger. Because that's that's where the overall, that's where the over like committing to this player uh, for so long and for so much money in a league where oftentimes, most of the time, in fact, your game really falls off when you start turning thirty two, thirty three, thirty four, and the Canucks aren't in their window right now that's why i say jt miller makes all the sense in the world for a team like pittsburgh which is in its window right now and who they don't have a bright future like when crosby and malkin and Latang all retire like the penguins are going to have to rebuild so the back few years of jt miller's contract in a place like pittsburgh it wouldn't be such a big deal but what i don't want is for the canucks to Get to the point in a few years. Let's say they have some growth over the next few years. And then JT Miller's contract is like an anchor. Yep. And you want to improve, but you can't because you've got this contract on the books. That's the only thing. Mm -hmm. 
I'm with about you. it. It's the I'm, only thing. Uh, yeah. Everything else is just noise. Uh, ben on Burke Mountain. I assume he's talking about Burke Mountain in Coquitlam, not the ski resort in Vermont. Uh, ben on Burke Mountain. Ask us anything. Which do you prefer? The draft lottery, like in the NHL, or automatic seeding, like in the NFL? Uh, the NFL, Ben. I think it's pretty cut and dry. If you're one of the worst teams in the league, you should have a chance at getting the best player in the upcoming draft. That's how franchises get to turn things around. I understand that the lottery's more intriguing and there's more drama and everyone gets a chance and this is generational talent. Traditionally speaking, teams have been more undone by having bad seasons and not being able to get really good players. Wow, for a guy that hates tanking so much, I was surprised you had that answer. If someone wants You hate tanking. If someone wants to sewer their season and intentionally lose games, let them. They can deal with the fallout. Cuz it's not all sunshine and roses when you're losing 13 or 14 games down the stretch. Mm-hmm. And and then I always talk about that there was that one game that always that altered the NHL, and it was when Arizona played Buffalo pri- <laughs> ahead of the McDavid draft, and it was in Buffalo, right? And Buffalo fans were cheering when Arizona scored to beat them in overtime. Yeah, and the NHL was like, "We can't have this happen." And I was like, "Why not? If Buffalo wants to run their franchise this way and wants to piss off their fans, or have their fans so turned off at the concept of winning that they're cheering against the opponent, let them. Look at what happened to Buffalo." became a disaster, but they made that choice. The The whole thing has to be, if you're bad and you're at the bottom of the standings, there has to be a way for you to get better without going out and buying free agents, basically. Mm-hmm. And the draft is the way to do it, right? That's that's plain and simple to me. I like the draft lottery, though. I think it's more... I don't, I don't, I, I don't when, like... When, when, it's, when you don't have... When you don't have, when you're guaranteed, if you're the worst team in the league, and you're guaranteed the first overall pick, then you're going to see some funny business going on. Sure, I don't think it's good for the league, but I think it's, I, I think that that's all part of it. Like I think there's karma involved with some of it. Like for example, the the worst draft rules of all time. Was there any karma in the Penguins getting Mario Lemieux? Yeah, they got good karma yeah. from it. <laughs> they got the good, the good kind of karma. Um, but the worst draft rules of all time were the ones that they hit the Grizzlies with when they were in Vancouver. Oh, was, the it was expansion like, teams got yeah, screwed? Yeah. It was it was it was awful. It was the it made no sense at the time and retroactively it makes even less sense if that's possible. It's funny how the NHL has looked at its own history of teams like I don't know, probably like Florida and Columbus. You know, it's took taken forever for them to get relevant and to put together good teams and they're like, "What if?" <laughs> We, what if uh, these new teams to the league that we want to cement their fan base and make sure that they're healthy and they get off to a good start and they create some excitement in their markets, what if we gave them uh, a, a chance yeah, like to actually much, win? Do you guys want some really good players to watch? You can do it. Uh, it, it. It boggles my mind. Anyway, rant over there. Ben, I hope I answered your question. This is the best of Halford and Bruff. Download the full show through Apple, Google, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.